Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, dual interview here today. Um, well, first of all, you you do Bison podcasting, right? Yeah, I do. You know, that's something we uh, started a couple of years ago with the Bison Illustrated magazine. And uh, yesterday we actually recorded our 75th episode. Okay, so we'll talk about that in the second half of the interview. In the first half, uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, professional world and the stuff that you have going on the oil and gas world has to do with some mineral rights and um, other land issues and mineral issues, I guess. So uh, briefly, just kind of give us an overview of the last five years, what's been going on with these lawsuits that just keep coming up and down and up and down. Yeah, and that's a really good question because they they really run the whole range from issues involving surface use agreements with landowners where an oil company is looking to put on a, a well pad or a pipeline to negotiating leases and lease disputes, whether, you know, when we had the boom a few years ago, then the bust and all that things are picking up a little bit again. There's questions as to whether there was uh, production that held leases per the terms of the lease. So we, we get involved in those kind of disputes. And of course, most of your listeners are probably familiar with uh, the Wilkinson case involving the minerals under Lake Sakakawea and the state's unconstitutional taking. And, you know, seemingly some days that seems like it'll drag on in, into perpetuity and we'll never have resolution. And that's still slowly meandering its way through the court system, despite the fact we had a decision from the North Dakota Supreme Court nearly 18 months ago, back in September 2017. So we're pushing hard to get resolution on that. And I, I know that there are some legislators in Bismarck that are taking a look at that again to see if there's anything they can do to expedite the process. So, you know, with, with mineral owners, there's, there's always different issues. And of course, what uh, your listeners, I don't think we've ever visited about it. I do represent a couple oil and gas companies on, on a variety of lawsuits. So we do a little bit of litigation for them involving uh, different working interest rights, overriding royalty interests, and different deals they work out amongst each other. So it's, uh, it's a good area of practice to be in. We have great clients, and uh, we're particularly fortunate to, to represent the surface owners, farmers, and ranchers that we do. You mentioned that Wilkinson case. Uh, what, what's the latest on that? You mentioned that there was a recent court case, and is that going to be uh, challenged? Court decision. Yeah, so the, yeah, the back last fall, so the fall of 2018, after Wanken Associates, they were the firm, and, and I think you and I had visited about this, that the statute that was the result of Senate Bill 2134 during the last legislative session two years ago that uh, determined that the state's interests were limited to what was within the historic Missouri River as it existed pre-Garrison Dam. So that that, that uh, statute required a survey to be done, which was completed by Wink and Associates. The Industrial Commission adopted that in September 2018. And we had sent a letter to the Attorney General's office saying, okay, can we finally push forward and get this thing done? They were non-responsive, and the, the dilatory and obstructive tactics continued where the state sought an indefinite stay of that litigation. Um, we objected to that, saying the Supreme Court was very clear in its directive in its decision from back in September 
2017 to address two very narrow and specific issues. One, does uh, Chapter 61-33.1 of the North Dakota Century Code apply to the property? It, uh, by the you know clear and unambiguous language of the statute, it certainly does apply because the Wilkinson's property is within the boundary specifically described and identified in the statute. And the second issue remanded by the Supreme Court was if the, the state ends up with the property, then that's an unconstitutional taking that needed to be addressed. So in December, the district court denied the state's motion and ruled in our favor and said the parties had to submit a scheduling plan to the district court to address those two issues. And that's the most recent uh, machinations in that case. And, and you know, I, I'd say, believe it or not, Jason, but you and I have talked enough about this where I think, you know, at least for myself, I'm not surprised by really anything the Attorney General's office does anymore. But in, a, in our attempt to work out a scheduling agreement with them, I sent them an email and a letter in December after the court denied the state's motion to continue this indefinitely. The state did not respond to, to my request to try to come up with a, a joint scheduling agreement on that. So I sent three separate emails over the next three and a half weeks to the state before they finally responded, and they still refused to address the issue. So I emailed them back saying, well, if we can't figure it out in email, let's do what reasonable, pe reasonable people do. Let's get on the telephone and, you know, we're all grown-ups, let's work something out. But instead of calling me back and, and trying to work it out, the state filed a, a procedurally um, improper motion for uh, asking the court to give them a blank check and adopt the state's own scheduling agreement, which they didn't reach uh, with any consultation with us or any of the other parties. And, and frankly, the, the motion they filed isn't even contemplated by the rules. So we... We had to respond to that. We've requested sanctions against the state um, for refusing to comply with the court order and for continuing to unnecessarily delay this and, and cause our clients to rack up many more thousands of dollars in attorney's fees. And, and here we are coming up on March 2019, and we still have not moved forward one iota since the Supreme Court issued its decision. So it's, you know, I... I'm hoping one of these days when we visit, I'll be able to say the case is concluded and it's and it's finished. But uh, my concern is we may be into the administration of a couple presidents down the road before we ever get to that point. I've heard this theme several times over the past uh, several times over the past few months, but increasingly more over the past five years, and that is how difficult it is to work with and communicate with the state of North Dakota. And do you find that that's the case in other examples too, or are other cases, or is it just this one specific case? No, I, I think it's a fair, you know, it's, it's painting with a broad brush, but I, I think it's certainly fair. I know other attorneys in our office have dealt with uh, the attorney general's office on some, if, on some issues where they were difficult to deal with and, and operated as if the, the rules either didn't apply to them or, or frankly, they were going to just do whatever the hell they wanted, you know, consequences be damned. And it didn't matter that, uh, you know, that, that uh, private parties are, are held to a, a certain standard. They were going to do whatever they 
felt that they uh, desired to do. Um, it, it seems to me it's it's more of an issue with maybe some of the executive branch departments, and and, and you know, yeah. my experiences have have been with the attorney general's office in this particular case. You know, we've dealt with them on some other issues where you know every once in a while they're fairly cooperative and good to deal with. I can tell you that since the uh, the new land commissioner came aboard, she's had more of an open door than the last land commissioner and has been um, better to work with from, from our perspective. The, the legislators out in Bismarck that are meeting this session, I can say that they've, they've been receptive to our, um, our communications involving this case and, and other cases, and they... They try to do their best, I think, and, and I, uh, you know, certainly want to recognize that in their efforts because they've they've tried to at least work with us and, and see what they can do. But it seems to me that this is certainly an issue with the attorney general's office and uh, ex- the executive branch of state government, where you have North Dakota citizens and taxpayers, and it's not just the Wilkinsons. I mean, you're talking about hundreds, if not thousands, of mineral owners that are impacted by this case. And it just continues to languish where the Supreme Court has said, you guys need to figure out these two issues. And the AG's office, for for whatever reason, wants to keep kicking this can down the road. And, you know, one of the things we told the district court in our brief, which is a public record, you know, anyone can go to the courthouse or get a copy of that, is that it, it, it seriously, and, and I'm, I'm being literal here, it takes less time for a case to work its way up to the United States Supreme Court and get a decision from the highest court in the land, then it's taken our clients to get relief in this case. And this is a lawsuit that's entering its seventh year now. So that's part of the reason in our most recent response to the state's motion, we've asked for sanctions because the, uh, this is causing real heartache and costing our clients a lot of money for relief that the you know the Supreme Court ruled in a decision to address these two issues, and the state just refuses to do that. Josh Swanson, Vogel Law, with us. We're talking about right now the uh, the, the Wilkinson case, right? Correct. Okay, Wilkinson case involves the minerals under Lake Sakakawea, and the state kind of did a flipper switcheroo. And just very briefly, how, how did this come about? Because in my memory, it's the state all of a sudden decided they want, wanted the minerals because your clients who are landowners, your clients are not a corporation, right? You, it's just, they're just landowners? Yeah, they're, you know, they're fourth, fifth generation North Dakotans who are you know, proud, very proud of their history and heritage in the state, and you know they're not—they're not an investment group. They're not a corporation. They're salt of the earth, real life North Dakotans. And then the state—how how did they go about getting the minerals or attempting to get the minerals? It had to do with the dam and Lake Sakakawea, and somebody felt the need that the original survey done by the Army Corps of Engineer back when the river was the river and was surveyed, uh, that wasn't good enough, so they redid it in today's day and age when the water's flooded like it is. And is, am, am, I, am I bullet pointing this right, or kind of jump in a little bit and get, give us that summary? 
Sure, and I think as far as a 30,000-foot overview, that's, that's pretty accurate. So the, the long story short of it is back when the, the federal government acquired hundreds of thousands of acres in, in central and, and western North Dakota for Lake Sakakawea, that would, uh, the, the inundation that would be caused by Garrison Dam, the federal government came in and acquired that property. So the state of North Dakota has been a stranger to title the entire time. The state of North Dakota has never, never had an interest in any of this property. So folks like my clients and, and many, many others, they had the minerals reserved in them when the U.S. acquired the property either via deed or via condemnation proceeding. The, the government, the feds back in the 50s said, you can do it one of two ways, landowner. You can sell us your property via deed and you can keep the mineral rights or we're going to initiate an uh, imminent domain proceeding we're going to get a court order requiring you to, to convey, convey us that property and we'll compensate you accordingly under the Fifth Amendment. So that was the, the universe that everyone was operating in. And for you know the better part of half a century, folks like my clients entered into private oil and gas leases with these companies because no one ever questioned their ownership of it. And then you know, when the, the boom came about and, and the, you know, the technological advancements with horizontal drilling, the oil companies were able to, to get the oil and gas resources underneath Lake Sakakawea. And they're, they're very, you know, as you know, valuable resources. And the, the wells out there are very good producing wells. So someone either with the land board at the time or the attorney general's office had the bright idea that they would make the claim, and this this is so outlandish, and it sounds so absurd, but the the state made the claim that because that property was flooded, because government flooded that property, that somehow gave the state of North Dakota ownership of the mineral rights to that. So their their argument boils down to because that property was flooded by the federal government, we as in the state of North Dakota now own those minerals and that they you know they argued that position to the supreme court in our case and the the supreme court rejected that decision and that's you know that's a blatant textbook definition of a taking and the reason that the state had claimed it i mean i think it's that old adage in, in politics business whatever just follow the money the the state saw the dollar sign someone had an idea and they went about claiming all these private minerals when they never had a right to it in the first place, and here we are, you know, a decade afterwards and after a Supreme Court decision, after legislation passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, and we still don't have any relief or an answer to it. And like I said, these these minerals in the past had been paid out to landowners in the 60s or whenever it was in the past, there was, or something like that, right? There's, there's records yeah, that... They- Go ahead. There, yeah, and that's that's one of the that's and that's a great question, Jason, and, and that's exactly it. And that was a key key part of the decision in the Supreme Court case and paragraphs. And it's funny, I, you know, I've read that decision so many times and cited it in so many briefs and, and letters where I can tell you paragraphs twenty one to twenty twenty four from the top of my mind without having the decision in front of me. But paragraphs twenty one to twenty four, the Supreme Court recognized the fact that our clients own those minerals, and, and part of that ownership was evidenced by the fact that they had been leasing those mineral rights for the for literally the last 50-plus years. There's leases going back that far, and our client's family and, and many, many other mineral owners 
families where they'd been leasing the minerals they owned. You know, in our case, what's so, you know, for me, growing up in North Dakota, having a respect for, you know, the, the country we live in, the rights that we have as Americans, and, and what our uh, military has done for us and uh, everything back back to World War II, protecting the, the free world from totalitarianism and the fascism in Europe. My clients uh, had kids that were farming that property that was acquired by the feds that went over to Europe and were fighting in World War II. And, and one of our clients in that case who passed away recently, she was one of the named plaintiffs, she went into Williston and got her driver's license when she was 14 years old from a judge there so she could help out and on the farm and drive the grain truck because her two older brothers were off serving our country and fighting in World War II. And now the state is claiming those very same minerals that our clients were farming before and during World War II, where one of our clients was driving the grain truck on the property. That was the land that was acquired by the federal government for Sakakawea as a result of Garrison Dam. And so, you know, I, I have so much empathy, and, and I'm just, you know, quite frankly mad as hell and very passionate about it because these folks have lived here their entire lives. They, you know, they trace their family stories going back to the early 1900s. You know, they, they went through... World War II, they went through the, the Cold War, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the ups and downs in North Dakota's economy, some rough patches with our agricultural sector, and now with this energy economy we've been blessed with. I mean, they, they've seen it all, and now they're stuck in this fight going on for nearly a decade where they keep have to spending money to, to fight the state of North Dakota, a state that should be looking out for their best interests, a state that should be fighting for them, but instead, they're having to go up against the attorney general's office and literally spend hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting for something that has been in their family going back to World War II. My understanding is, now you don't have to answer this because I don't believe you represent them um, on this group side of things. You do from a legal side, but some of your clients are part of a new formed group that is now going to be kind of a watchdog group for this? Is a minerals group that was created out in, in western North Dakota. Do you know anything about this? Yeah, I know that uh, former Representative Scarpole has been active out there with, with mineral owners groups. And, and I'm sure, you know, I, I can't think off the top of my head if I have any clients that are, you know, card-carrying members and signed up. To be part of that group, I, well, I would venture to guess. They, it's relatively new from my understanding. Like in the last just several months, they're they're forming like an official no. group or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my, my understanding as well, that they're trying to put together some sort of a citizen group to advocate and fight for their interests. And, uh, and I think part of that has to do with different royalty deduction issues. I, I know that's been really big. Um, with mineral owners when they get their royalty statements, especially the uh, deductions that have gone up exponentially for natural gas. And, and I know that's um, kind of a political prairie fire that's starting to gain some momentum in western North Dakota. But, I, you know, me personally, I, I'm kind of like you. I've been following it and, and talking to some people about it, but I don't have any direct involvement in it. Okay, that's what I thought. I, I figured that. I just thought, you know, that you might might have had a client or two or something, but I know they're in their infant stages. The only reason I bring it up is because it seems to me that that is a, one of those signs that, okay, if there's 
a citizens group, and that's a great word for it, a citizens watchdog advocacy type group, that says something's broken, something's not working. And that, and in conjunction with what we just talked about, where the state's basically trying to create a revenue stream out of your client's uh, mineral rights, um, that just, it, it's another sign that some things are not going well, that sort of thing. So um, anyway, uh, Josh Swanson, Vogel Law, we got to transition here to the next topic, uh, which is we're going to throw on another. Oh, and by the way, before we do that, anything, final thoughts on, on minerals in, North, in, in the Bakken and other states? Do you represent other states and, and that sort of thing? I, I have clients from other states. I have you know clients from um, quite literally all over the globe who have interests up in North Dakota, but my, my work is, is um, strictly limited to North Dakota mineral rights, but I, I do have clients that on the globe. I see. Yeah, they probably, okay, I get it. Um, all right, we'll transition then into the uh, podcasting part because when you're not doing professional things, you, you got a pretty good hobby, it looks like, to where uh, my understanding is you're like me. You've got both a radio show and a podcast, so it's, it's, it has to do with the NDSU uh, Bison football team. Am I, am I hitting the bullseye there? Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I've, okay. I've been an NDSU football fan since birth and uh, this fall I was given my own radio show called Heard It Here with Swanee on 740 AM the fan in, in Fargo and then I've been doing a podcast for uh, Bison Illustrated for the last few years and have been writing a column, the Swanee Says column in the Bison Illustrated magazine for uh, the last 10 or 11 years since that publication was launched and I think the summer of 2007 is when we launched that. And what what is it about? Your it's about NDSU football or all sports, uh, NDSU or all aspects of NDSU. Yeah, we uh, with the podcast we we tend to, to focus, especially in the last uh, you know couple of years, on Bison football with with all the success, the seven national championships in eight seasons, wins over programs like Kansas State and Iowa, and of course with the Carson Wentz uh, uh, situation with him being the number two picking the NFL draft, playing for the Eagles. There's there's just a lot of excitement and passion for NDSU football. So that tends to be kind of our, our cash cow, so to speak. But we also on the you know the podcast, I'll, I'll give you an example. The podcast we did yesterday where if your listeners are curious, we're on iTunes if they search by and Illustrated. They can find us on SoundCloud and they can also uh, find the podcast at bisonillustrated.com. We talked about uh, NDSU football getting invited to the White House. The men's basketball team under Coach Richmond, they're on a four-game winning streak right now, and they're one of the hottest teams in the Summit League. And, and then we have a, a thrower in track and field, Peyton Otterdahl, who actually leads the world, leads the entire world this year in the shot put. And his, uh, his numbers that he's putting up right now in shot put would have been good enough for gold in the 2008 summer games and in the last two summer games would have been good enough for bronze. So we, we tackle all issues, North Dakota state on, on both the podcast and then on the radio show, you know, we do do interviews with a bunch of NDSU athletic type officials and uh, football players. And then for the Bison illustrated magazine, you know, I, I kind of um, go all over the place a little bit. The, the column I did in the championship issue were, quoting Winston Churchill and, and John Adams, and I, I've talked about some First Amendment issues in there, and I, I kind of, I've, I've got a lot of 
flexibility and liberty to kind of fashion my, my monthly column however I want to, and it's, it's typically got a sports bent to it, but uh, with my, my lawyer hat on, you know, and uh, the way I'm wired, I, I end up kind of uh, mixing the two together sometimes, but uh, yeah, I've been doing that, and it's, you know, like you, the, the radio stuff, the podcasting, it, it gets in your blood, and it's just something, uh, you know, definitely something I'm really passionate about and, and really enjoy doing. Do you mostly do football? I know you said that, but I mean, like, you know, football season's over now. So, like, right now, would you be talking about football or would you be focusing on basketball or would you just kind of be looking for a story because it's not football? <laughs> you know, and, that, and that, that's a really good question because that's, you know, we talked about this on our podcast a couple weeks ago. That's, that's a story in and of itself where when I was growing up, in Maddock, North Dakota, and then going to school at NDSU, there was a time where when football season ended, football season ended and you didn't have much coverage of it for a couple months until you got to spring ball. NDSU and and the University of North Dakota and every other college football program has about a month's worth of practice every spring that they call spring ball. And then they start up with uh, fall camp the following August where they get ready for the season. But now North Dakota State football has really become this, you know, 24-7, 365 animal where there's there's always stories. And, and a large part of it is there's such a demand for content where Bison fans, even now in the middle of February, as, as we sit a couple months removed from spring ball and we're about as far away from the next season as we can get, fans are always demanding football stories, whether it's about the, the new recruits that, the football coaches just signed here um, in mid-December and then again with another signing day last week, whether it's the new coaching staff with Coach Entz taking over and the new guys he's brought in, the visit to the White House, to Easton Stick, uh, our All-American quarterback who just graduated, who's training right now for uh, uh, hoping to get drafted in the NFL. It's, it's really, you know, what we like to say is you got to feed the beast because Bison fans want to talk about that and they, they're always want to talk about football but then on the other end of it you know we we do talk about other sports we you know we were talking about softball NDSU softball and coach Mueller and are in uh, Puerto Vallarta Mexico for a tournament right now baseball is about to head out the uh the track teams are you know won something like both men and women nine out of the last 10 or 10 conference championships in a row and uh, the men are actually rated number 15 in the country any division in uh, track and field, indoor track and field right now, where we're uh, just below Alabama and Florida State and Oregon. And then uh, with men's basketball, they're playing pretty well right now. So we cover that too. But yeah, the the real kind of um, driving force behind our coverage, even during this time of the year, is Bison football. I think you're going to understand the next question. Your content, is it more of a news magazine versus a hard news? Now, what I mean is, it seems to me like your stories, you know, your focus is going to be more of uh, informational, maybe uplifting uh, type stories as opposed to investigative. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. And, and I'll give you an example of, of one of the stories. It's actually one of the stories I'm most proud of that, that I've done for the magazine. This fall, one of our former players, a linebacker um, named Jeff McKinnon, Jeff was diagnosed with uh, with cancer in the last year, and his teammates. There's a group called the Bison Football Players Association. 
guys that used to play football that um, got together, formed this group a couple of years ago, and and just teammates from back in the the late 1990s heard about it, and, and guys from the 60s all the way up through today banded together where they're doing things as simple as you know going over and bringing them meals while they're getting treatment or making sure their kids have rides to practices and, and doing things like having a silent auction and fundraiser to you know when Jeff's going to, to the Mayo Clinic to get treated they're helping out with that and the Dakota Medical Foundation uh, Gina Pinovich and her group lend a hand up they got involved and uh, assisted with the fundraiser so I did a, a story on that and actually visited with uh, Rocky Hager, who was the, the coach for the Bison when I was growing up in the 1980s and 90s, and talked to him because he had reached out when he heard that, that Jeff was fighting his battle and uh, just wanted to reconnect with him. So we, we do we do features like that where it's not so much the, the hard information, the, the profiles and the feature. And what we, what we kind of like to say is we, we lift the curtain up and, and let folks know that there's you know, guys behind the, the helmets and face masks or the, the basketball jerseys, both men and women. So that's that's really what our, our coverage has been geared toward ever since we uh, started the, the magazine here about 10, 11 years ago. And the, the next iteration of it, especially with the podcast, we, we take that same kind of a approach and mindset to it. To me, that's one of the things that's really helping podcasts out. And that's what's helped me out was about two years ago, I actually started putting in my marketing materials that we were non-political and non-polarizing. And the reason was is because everybody else was. And I mean, ESPN yeah. has got ESPN has gotten political. I mean, think about that. Yeah, they're just supposed to cover sports, and they're like political. Um, and so, when that's the case, you know, we we did that, and our audience grew online significantly. Um, I would imagine that you've had the same success because you guys aren't getting involved with the politics and the bombastic and sensationalism of of news and investigations and finger pointing that people really like that that informational you know kind of exclusive one of a kind stories. Yeah, and that that's such a great point with with the podcast and the you know I think you know I. I love politics. I, I love following the, the horse race nature to, to whether it's a, a senatorial race here or the presidential stuff. But, but people get tired of it. They get burned out. They get tired of tuning into every show on terrestrial or even XM radio or you know whether it's an ESPN or any sort of network. You turn on the TV, it's just omnipresent. And I, I think people want that escape and they, they want to get away from it because they get tired of hearing about it. And the, the podcast medium, I've been tuned into podcasts probably for the better part of five or six years where I've, where I've had them on my phone. And the great thing about it is, you know, I, I know when I drive to, to Williston or Minot or Bismarck, you know, I've, I've got all kinds of podcasts that I'll listen to. You know, I've, I've got about a 20 minute commute to and from work each way every day. And I've, I've typically got, you know, I'll, I'll listen to the KFGO morning crew and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I've got podcasts on quite a bit and you can really step away from that, uh, just the, the rhetoric and the divisiveness and, and, you know, people trying to do the gotcha journalism or to score points. It's nice to be able to, to be selective when you're looking at where you want to get your news and, and what you're going to be exposed to. And we tell our listeners that, is that, you know, we know that when they tune into the Bison Illustrated podcast, they're not tuning in 
for politics. They don't want the, the heavy, heavy news. And, and like someone told me once, you know, sports is kind of the toy department of life. And, and there are some really great stories there with, you know, student athletes and what they're going through and the adversity and the battles they're facing. And, and we try to keep it focused on the positive and, and what these individuals are going through and, and people's passion for NDSU. And what, what I take so much pride in is I've got buddies that are huge Donald Trump supporters and they listen to the podcast every week. And I got buddies that aren't huge Donald Trump supporters and, and they listen every week and we can go out and have a beer. And if there's one thing we can all agree on is that, you know, we don't have to talk politics. We can talk, you know, whether it's North Dakota state families or our lives or whatever, but the, the podcast provides such a, um, a unique platform, whether it's the, the podcast you're doing with, with your media network or, or the Bison Illustrated. It's just such a great platform for getting content out there. Well, what I noticed was, and you'll probably notice this, being that you are a writer as well as a podcaster and a radio, so you kind of understand the different <clears throat> different levels of distribution. If you go to most cities in the United States, uh, the newspaper generally was the king of the media because, um, well, they were the only one in town. They were the monopoly, and they were usually the first one there. They were there before radio stations. They were there before televisions. So they had the subscriptions. They had the eyeballs. They had, you know, they, they had the first in type thing. They had actual reporters. So I was accustomed to that. To that. Uh, of course, in Fargo, the newspaper not only owns a radio, but it owns a television station, too which was rare um, back in the day because I think there was only a handful in the nation, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and maybe one other place because there used to be regulations that somebody could not own more than one media outlet like that in a, in a, in a one market. So they got grandfathered in. Bill Marcel Sr. did. Anyway, um, what I noticed when I went out to the western side of the state, out to Dickinson and Williston out in the Bakken, was that the newspaper was not king. I, I just always assumed it was. Radio was. And the reason, because so many people in western North Dakota need their hands free because they got to drive two, three hours to a rig or they're fixing fence posts or they're in the, you know, ranching and doing that sort of thing. So they always need their hands free. And coming from Fargo, being a part of the floods, I saw that firsthand because you knew that. I mean, sandbagging, everybody was listening to the radio. Everybody was because they needed information and they needed their hands free because they were sandbagging. Um, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in, in your direction to see if you had any comment on that, how, you know, it, podcasting really can shine in certain areas because when you need your hands free for driving or fixing fence posts or that sort of thing, that's your audience. Those are the people that seem to be downloading the podcast the most. And I, I think that that's, that's uh, you know, spot on, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I'm a guy who likes to read a couple newspapers a day. I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV. You know, I might have a – like when I go home tonight, my wife and I will have a college basketball game on in the background while we're just going about our nightly stuff at the house. But the, the podcast, I can get the content that I want with, you know, whatever subject matter – it is, and then I can, you know, if I'm driving in and out of work or even just, you know, heading to court during the day, I can press play, and when I go inside, I, you know, I can hit stop, and then when I, you know, when I get in my vehicle here in a little bit to head home, I can pick it up right again and press play. I can be, you know, at the 
the the uh, Family Wellness YMCA in South Fargo and, and cranking out a couple miles on the treadmill and listening to podcasts. I can be working in the garage or doing something. I can have a podcast on. And I think, you know, I remember growing up and my grandparents at uh, Grandpa Jim's Farm by Maddock or my Grandpa Cliff and Grandma Ruth, their place on Devil's Lake, going out there, they always had the radio on. Grandpa was always in the garage tinkering with something working on the mower or doing whatever, and he always had uh, uh, KDLR on in Devil's Lake, one of the big AMs up there. And, and you know, Grandpa Jim, he'd, he'd worked for the state seed department for many, many years, and when we were growing up, we would drive with him to catch a ride to Fargo to stay with him and Grandma Norm. And I grew up listening to the KFGO and, and Big Eddie and News and Views and, and uh, all the great personalities, you know, uh, the Tom and Larry, the morning show, all those guys. I grew up with the radio because that's exactly it when we're out you know uh, uh roguing fields and, and cutting heads off wheat because oh grandpa could test it for state seed or we're in a grain bin cleaning that out or, or out in the combine we didn't have the newspaper you didn't have a paper you didn't have the phone you just grew up with the radio and and i think that you you see that you know what what it says to me jason i know you know you mentioned foreign communications where a guy like Mike McFeely or a Rob Port, where they stop doing their terrestrial radio shows and they have them doing exclusive stuff just via podcast. You know, the fact that I, I take some pride in that, not, not for whatever Forum Communications is doing, but the fact, you know, guys like yourself and guys like me that have been putting out podcasts for a couple of years now, uh, we were ahead of the game. I and mean, we can, I think, you know, we can be a little bit braggadocious and pat ourselves on the back saying, you know, the, the big kind of a, a, a main media outlets out here are recognizing the value in podcasts because now they're starting to do them. And, you know, I know you've been doing yours for quite a while and, you know, this uh, June will hit the two year anniversary on ours. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I did a column back this fall on uh, podcasting and, and just the value in it. And uh, I know our, our data, the cool thing is we can see the analytics, how long the average listener listens for, how many hits, we get per episode, but one of the striking numbers is the vast majority of our listeners, and I'm sure it's the same way with your podcast, they listen to the whole thing. They'll, they'll start it and they might come back to and finish it, but we get something like an 88 to 94% engagement rate where 88 to 94% of our listeners, depending on the podcast, are listening to at least 54 of our 54 minutes of about the hour we do every week. You know, if you're in the car listening to the radio, you'll flip on and off and, and things like that. But, you know, for, for advertisers, that level of engagement, and, and I can throw off a, a number like uh, more percentage of Americans, and, and this is ridiculous, but this is the truth. And I did uh, Edison, there's an Edison group, I think their name is, they did some, uh, released their audio survey earlier this year on, on trends in digital audio and, and all that other stuff. But more Americans listen to a podcast than voted in the last presidential election and more americans listen to a podcast than can tell you who our vice president is which is just remarkable to me that is wow that is absolutely remarkable um i was just kind of looking at my numbers here while you were talking and the Building the Bakken, which is now called The Crude Life, which actually originally was called The Crude Life, um, we are on 289 episodes this week. It'll be 290 for our podcast slash radio show. 
And then we have another one that's called Coffee and Capitalism. And this will be our 212th episode this week. And yeah, I mean, we've been long. I, I agree, man. Being an early adapter on this, we're finally getting validated by some of the bigger people. And I'm curious to see how it's going to go for some of these these individuals that are going off of the radio and only doing podcasting because being on the radio has its advantage. You have a built-in audience and you're on 740 The Fan. So um, you actually can get picked up in a lot of the stations that we're on, including the ones in the Black Hills, because I can pick up 740 The Fan in the Black Hills. And that means that people on the radio can tune in and listen to it. And that's, you know, so radio does have big advantages. Podcasting has big advantages as well. Uh, Anything in conclusion you got? I mean, what's going on the pipe here with the podcasting? Are you going to start doing live events? Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's a really good question. We're we're looking at different options. We just started doing a, a video feature that that folks can check out at BisonIllustrated.com, and and we're looking to do more of what you're doing, where we're working interviews into our show and doing kind of more of an interactive thing. But but yeah, we're uh, we're always looking to get better with the podcast and you know I, I go back and think to the first few episodes we did and where we're at now and the fact you know it, it's interesting you know you mentioned the the, the radio station and, and what what I've tried to do is we try to use that and I, and I, <laughs> I hate saying the word synergy because it's so cliche but you know I, I try to tie in what I'm doing on the radio and, and yesterday I actually uh, filled in guest hosting for Tyler Axness on his afternoon show on KFGO and we always try to tie in the podcast even though you know yesterday was more of a newsy thing on kfgo but the, we're always trying to talk about the the bison illustrated podcast but it's, it's an exciting medium i mean i i know you share the same passion for it that i do and i really think that that digital content is, is the next big wave and i think there's a reason why whether it's an espn or a forum communications or even the networks whether it's the cnn's the msnbc's or fox there's a reason you're seeing a lot of their personalities doing podcasts now is because there's such an incredible value to it. Well, I look at it as, okay, so my social media, I've got a LinkedIn and then I've got uh, Facebook pages and, and Twitter and that sort of things. But And they're in different shale plays. So I've got a Bakken one. I've got a Niobrero one. I've got an Eagleford. I've got a Permian. Okay, And when you add them all together, it's over 350,000 followers and subscribers and all of our programming goes through those so it doesn't matter if you're in Haynesville or the Bakken our programming goes through that and so much of because you know the energy industry it doesn't matter if you're in the Eagleford or the Bakken those a lot of those companies are in all of those shale plays or they want to be in those shale plays and they definitely want to know what's going on in the oil and gas industry for example so that's where I look at the digital audience to where like I just like seeing my digital audience grow. Um, I'm fortunate my radio audience grows, but the digital audience is where for somebody like you all of a sudden can talk to an executive in Houston just through this podcast and radio show. I'm sorry, just through this podcast, not radio show, because they're not going to be up in this area, but they're going to be in Houston and they're going to listen to it that way. That's the part that I think is exciting. And you with the NDSU, you've got to have fans all over the world contacting you with uh, Bison fans, probably in Denmark and in Russia and all kinds of places. I, I, am I out of line for saying that? Or I'd imagine that's the case. No, 
Yeah, we, we do, and it's interesting. Through, through our analytics and the data we get back on our podcast, we actually can see the number of listeners we have in each country. We've got listeners in Kuwait, in Great Britain, in Australia, in New Zealand, and those are only, I think the last time I counted, we had listeners in something like 20 countries. And the data we get back tells us how many listeners we have in, in each of those countries. So that's, that's so unique to podcasting where it's such an easy medium to share too where if I want to post it or if someone wants to find it, they can jump on iTunes. And I love radio. You know, I, I love the, the terrestrial radio. The talk radio format I think is fantastic. But the, the great thing with podcasting is it's so easy to, to share that content and the distribution platform in my mind has it has such a great potential because we can be talking here in North Dakota and someone in Australia or someone you know in Great Britain or, or France or Belgium or Russia can pick us up on the podcast how can people find it again our podcast they can go to bisonillustrated.com we post all the podcasts there that's bisonillustrated.com we're also on iTunes so if you go to iTunes and search Bison Illustrated, our podcast will come up. And then we also, we uh, the, the source we use to post them is SoundCloud. So if you go to SoundCloud and search Bison Illustrated, our uh, podcast will come up.